podcast one production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, welcome Amber Collins, the reasonably new CMO at Australia yeah. Post, previously with Coles as General Manager of Brand and Media at Coles, has been General Manager of Marketing at Target, the head of house brands for Coles way back in the 18th century, was also on the agency side, uh, mm-hmm. Amber, with Saatchi and Saatchi, Lowhoud Spink in London, one of the big ones, mm-hmm. the, 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 the big remarkable agencies that came out. Um, some decades ago, and is now um, at Australia Post. And my my first question before we get into a whole bunch of interesting uh, conversations is, what were you thinking going, leaving Coles, a fast-moving consumer retail giant, to a government-owned organisation like Australia Post, which could be seen as a bit sleepy? What was the rationale here? So you're right, it is an enormous change, and um, I'm just adapting to that. Uh, And as as you said, I've only been there three months. But the attraction was really uh, to do something completely different. And I'm sort of desperate to learn, and um, I felt like this would give me an opportunity to deal with another huge Australian company, which has massive scale, even larger than than Coles, um, but also has all sorts of other um, pressures and stakeholders that I've never dealt with before. Uh, and that was very interesting to me. Um, but to be fair, when they rang up, I said no. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> they, um, straight away. Straight away. Yeah. Uh, and then when I went in there um, and I learnt more about their plans, met the team and felt really inspired by what they were doing and their desire for change because it's a bit now and ever at Australia Post. Uh, the competition is becoming even greater in the parcel sector. Um, the opportunities for growth are there and need to be expanded. And I think it's, you know, time that everyone knows it's time to modernise. And you are working with Nicole Sheffield, right? And you'd worked with Nicole at, when she was at News Corp and... Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Nicole's. Um, as you say, she was um, on the news um, side when I was at Coles and we did a lot of negotiations over the years uh, when she was running Taste. And she's a she's a visionary. Um, she's got more ideas than anyone I've ever right. um, ever worked with. She's an absolute hoot, as yes. you know. Yes. And um, yeah, there's never a dull day. That's so let's sure. before we get into some of the, 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 the challenges before you at Australia Post... Can I ask some of the observations uh, that you saw at Coles uh, when when you were there? Um, what changed? What what sort of changes in that four or five years that you you were sort of across the business? Because you were there in in in, in down downs. Yeah, it's rather complicated. But I did two stints at Coles. We call people who do that boomerang people ah. at Coles. You go, you leave, and you come back. Um, and there's lots of us there who've done that. So I feel that I've got a quite a good perspective on the journey across that period of time. I was in the building um, pre the West Farmers takeover. Okay. And um, that was an unusual period of time because we knew it was something was happening and we were just waiting. It wasn't a long period of time and I was actually um, head of brand strategy, I think, at the time. Um, and then, you know, the memories are very clear for me of Archie Norman coming into the business. We all sat in an auditorium. He walked to the front and he said, um, this business will be unrecognisable in one year's time. And what he year was, right. was that? I'm thinking that was 2006, Let's seven? go with that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I have to look that one up. But is the British retail yeah. um, supermarket yeah, legend, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and it was true. You saying like It was true. I, you know, Ian McLeod came in and he completely transformed the business. It was electric in the place. And what was a very sleepy sort of, I might use the word lazy, 
um, business where there was a duopoly and both um, large retailers were quite happy with that situation and cruising along. Um, he upped the game in a way that was just phenomenal and he brought an obsession with the customer uh, that no one had seen in the business right. before. It was a very supplier-led business. He moved it to being a customer-led business. And that, I mean, we talk about, you know, culture taking a while, but actually he did it really quickly. He brought in, you know, a lot of um, leaders you know, who thought similarly about um, the way the business should be run. John Durkin, for one of them, um, obviously the merchandise director who became the managing director. These are people who believed that if we did the right thing for customers, the sales would come and they did. And so you sitting in that marketing or in that brand corner, if mm-hmm. you like, when you're seeing all this, what did it change about what you were doing and your output and your role? Yeah. And if we fast track through to the last four years of your stint, mm-hmm. three years of your stint, what changed again and, and what are your observations there? But first off, was there a big impact on you as a, as a brand strategist? Well, there was because I changed jobs really quickly. Right. So Ian wanted someone, a general manager, to run the house brand business and he put me in that, in that position. Uh, so very quickly I was... Uh, in charge of running a... Which is a very British thing to do, right? House brands. a three and a half thousand um, SKU portfolio, which for those of us who have been around a while will remember that at the time it was actually called You'll Love Coles. Right. Uh, The the entire, like you you picked up a product and it said You'll Love Coles on it. that was the brand. Correct. And, And so we had to address that and change that. And of course, a lot of people in the business had been a part of building that. We'd spent, you know, a decent amount of money with international consultancies yeah. to build that. And I had to break break that and start from scratch. And that was really exciting because it had his, you know, Ian and John's full, I had, I had Ian and John's full backing to, to drive that, that product portfolio for, forward. And that was an incredible time. Was that the three tier strategy correct. thing you did? Right. That was you. Correct. So, you know, we brought in, well, Finest existed, existed. It had um, been brought in, um, and it was about rationalizing smart buyers. So we weren't, you know, um, losing too much margin and expanding the mid-tier proposition, changing it from Euler Coles to just being a basic, you know, brilliantly packaged, high-quality product. Uh, and the sales followed because customers had the confidence and that gave people a reason to choose Coles over over Woolworths where you were able to get value and you were able to have confidence in mm. the product. If I think about it, you're actually probably the nemesis of many other marketers and brands, particularly in consumer goods and retail goods, where the, the house brands started to really elevate in the, in the Coles suite and build cheer. Yeah. And you've got classic marketers and classic salespeople with brands that are supplying, trying to build brands. You were being quite difficult for them, weren't you? Well, I think What's the advice you'd yeah, give to them? <laughs> the challenge is always there and that dynamic is sometimes tricky. But, you know, Innovation, brands, you know, keeping, maintaining your brand strength, um, constantly innovating and delivering a great product is what marketing is all about. And if the brand owners are doing that, then they have nothing to fear. Even in a supermarket context where Coles is using its own brands, those three brands, those three-tiered strategy, uh, Coles strategy that, that you developed, mm. there's still roles there for a brand and brand marketing when it seems to be changing in the supermarkets and, and what, what you can get in? Customers, particularly Australians, love choice. I mean, the penetration of house brand in the UK is far exceeds where we've got to even in the last 10 years um, at Coles. Uh, Australians like choice. They like brands. I don't see that changing dramatically. Do you think the, the British supermarket guys that came in from full coal at Coles mm-hmm. at the time, do you think they could have, did they expect to grow house brands bigger than what they thought? I think that in the early stages, there was a greater expectation about how um, how far that penetration could rise in the early days. But um, we still had double-digit growth for mm. many years and people were pretty happy with that. Okay. So the last um, 
three years at Coles mm-hmm. before you've moved, and then we, we will get to your 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 grand agenda at Australia Post. Um, <laughs> what what observations um, do you do you take with you? Uh, learnings do you take with you uh, in your last tenure at Coles uh, with what happened both at a management level and at a marketing level and customer experience? Yeah, I think um, having gone uh, as I mentioned earlier, worked with Ian McLeod in those early days, and then John Durkin taking over as managing director. Um, the, the the culture of the business did change a bit. Um, we, we call it less Rococo um, in the sense that it became a sort of more commer- you know, more commercially focused um, uh, business. And John brought his own um, flair for merchandising and his own flair for leadership into the into the piece. He is a very strong leader. Um, and I think that we had a, um, a very disciplined approach to running the business for the last four years. Uh, um, but unf- I think that there was quite a, also a lot of change and that's just cyclical, but there was a lot of change in the management at that time. We had a number of merchandise directors um, and then the mer- marketing director um, position changed frequently as well, which I think doesn't help. It creates a bit of instability and each person that comes in wants to do their own thing. It takes six months, you know, so there was a bit of that going on, I think, which perhaps didn't help. And so what were the implications from that ongoing transience and change? Well, I don't want to big it up by saying ongoing transience, but, you know, there was, there was change and the implications are that um, each leader who comes in um, wants to disrupt generally. I mean, if they're good, that's what they want to do too. But if you have constant disruption, a lot of things don't get bettered down and plans change. And sometimes, and when, you, when you're dealing with plans that are often a year in the making, that can cause problems within the rhythm of the business. So what happened? Was it inconsistent messaging to the customer? Or was it an internal thing? Where were the biggest impacts? Oh yeah. I don't think there was inconsistent messaging to the customer because John's one of the most brilliant um, his managers and although he's not a marketer, he understands the power of marketing. So I don't think it was inconsistent in that sense. But I think that internally there was the dynamic of change. Yeah. In the time that you've been in marketing to about now, what's going on with, with the marketer remit and capability and within the organisation? Marketing was all, never in doubt right at Coles. It, was, it wasn't sort of put aside and said, okay, we're going to cut, cut, cut. It was seen as a driver. But both the marketing outputs and the function, the capabilities of you as a marketer in the marketing marketing community. What, what, what do you think's going on there? What's happened? Yeah, I think that they changed at Coles along with the rest of the market, which is people are looking for people with some, you know, at one level, people with broad skills and then a series of specialists right. under, underneath it. And I don't think that we're any different than that um, over the past couple of years. We built a very strong um online and e-commerce business. Um, we built a very strong um, CRM function. We built a fantastic content um, plan. You know, so I don't think that it was, it, we just adapted to the market. We have fantastic partners at Coles uh, who helped us through. We went through an agency change, I think it was 2015 on the media side, where we um, left UM and went to OMD. Uh, that was a big changed the way we did business too and it was actually quite a positive one and just on that just yeah. um, I'd be interested so you hear a lot of stuff about don't change agencies for the sake of it you changed was there a difference in what and how the process and the output and, and the effects worked? yeah so most people will know I'm extremely loyal and I did not want to go to market uh, for the media agency in, uh, that year um, I advised against it uh, but the marketing director at the time wanted to and I actually wasn't running the media portfolio I was running general manager I was the general manager of digital at the time. So my peer um, took the, to, the pitch to market, uh, but unfortunately he then decided to leave 
during the, that process and I inherited it. Uh, and I think most people in the market knew I didn't really want to run the pitch, but now I was running so, the pitch. Right, some nervous Nellies. <laughs> so, yeah, because, well, it's, not, it's just that I, I was very happy with UM. I didn't think it was the time to change. Right. So then we did. We have to, Obviously, we were, half, we were half baked by then. So we had to go, uh, continue on. And, and the process actually became a very good one. Unanimously, the group chose OMD. Their thinking was superb. Culturally, we thought they were a good fit. And Peter Horgan and Amy run a tight ship. And we appreciated actually the change in accountability. We appreciated the change in transparency. Um, but th- we forced that through too. In, right. You know, and agency relationships are about what you do too, not just yes. what you accept. And so uh, we got to a very good uh, position of um, trust and um, constant improvement over that period of time. I promise you we are going to get to Australia Post, but it's fascinating. No, no, no. Um, fascinating I, everyone, I, everyone wants to talk about Coles. Yes. It, does, it never changes. Right. Whether you're at a barbecue, they want to talk about, you know, it, the products or whatever it is, it's, it'll never go away. I'll, I'll always be in the family. So on that, with agency partnerships, consulting firms, that whole mm-hmm. new emerging area of advisors and partners that, that marketers and, and companies have, brand, brand owners have, there's a lot of talk about agencies not cutting it. You've been on both sides, so I'm really in, in, interested in, in, in your take on how much of this – you could go toxic, you could, maybe a bit strong, but it's, it's tough out there between uh, with, with agencies and how they're perceived. Your take on that, and is it half-deserved? Is there, How much is on the client side to fix this? What's your take on this? I think that uh, a lot of clients have done the industry a disservice by driving too much money out of – the agencies, right. uh, and that has um, bred that thinner margins for them and, you know, less servicing capabilities. So I think that, but that's happened to a lot of industries and I suspect that that's um, an issue here as well. Uh, the good agencies will always do well and, um, you know, nimble agencies who can think on their feet and who can come up with solutions will always do well. I don't, I, I don't hear a lot of toxicity except you know, recently I went on one of the, the, you know, the trade titles and I saw commentary there and I thought people in the industry don't do themselves a favour because they rip each other down in a way that I thought was quite puerile, really. Um, I think that, I, I, I daren't say that, I, I mean, I never saw it in, while I was in the UK to that extent. I don't know why that is, uh, but it, it was obvious to me that there's some level of bitterness in in, in the industry. Um, the good agencies will be always do fantastically well. Um, you know, their records speaks for themselves. Their work speaks for itself. You know, and the small ones will probably end up consolidating. But we did have a, we did have a time, uh, Amber, a few years back where things got fairly tense for a while on the transparency front and media, mm-hmm. whether it be all the creative agencies not cutting it like they should or too sort of locked in their ways. Media had their own issues. There were some issues at, at, at a point in time. It may be sort of resolving a bit, but there were some transparency issues there for a while. Your take at that yeah, time on so, that? Yeah, um, so as I mentioned earlier, we forced transparency through um, very brutally. And I think that when you are in our position and we want, and the agencies know that we want to be genuine partners for a long time, that we are not going to pitch. We are going to be here for at least five years. We want them to make money and we want, you know, and, and to service us well, but we want to see where the money's going. And when you're in that situation and you have that open dialogue, um, it makes it easy to that for them to, with confidence, bring to the table how, how they're charging. And no one can be in business without making money. Mm. So I want them to make money. I want the people to be happy to do a good job in our business. Um, but 
we want to see where it's going. CMOs, can they change this? You know, you talked about the downward pressure on, you get what you pay for basically, yeah, right? So yeah. why does it keep happening? I think that people, some CMOs or some organisations consider pushing cost out to be a run on the board right. uh, that they can, you know, feel quite chirpy about. Uh, obviously, saving money is important and getting the best value, it goes without saying, but that's a constant uh, conversation. That's not something that happens, should happen every three years with a, you know, dramatic flourish in a pitch situation. That should be a dialogue that you're having with the agency all the time. And we, with, you know, more recently with Big Red or OMD, we would have those conversations in a way and we'd say, let's look at the hours. Let's look at what, what, what projects we're delivering. Let's look at how badly behaved we are on the client side with changes and things like right. that. So, you, you know, it's, it has to be a two-way street. I think that actually with both those agency partners, we got to a really, really good place in the last four years. The final bit around your your last tenure was part of your gig was media. So yes. um, what's your observations on them? It's hurting wow. right now and there's a lot of, there's a lot of traditional media that's mm -hmm. hurting. There's a massive amount of change going on across all digital and traditional. Mm -hmm. What's your sort of macro observation on what the hell's going on there and, and what a marketer does with all that? I think that people can get lost in media and metrics very quickly and lose sight of what the real goal is. Uh, I don't like hearing about the death of television. I don't like hearing about the death of radio. I don't like hearing about, you know, hearing people say that no one reads newspapers. I mean, I find that all that sort of, it, you know, even the big boys in, on the tech platforms come to the newspapers when they want to get their message out, right? right. Um, but it is a complex market and I think that the smart people um, and the smart publishers are very quickly moving to um, enable greater transparency, greater targeting, um, uh, customer IDs. You know, we see Nine recently making yes. some good moves in that space. So th it, the next five years will be absolutely fascinating as we see as we ch see change. But I don't believe you can build brands with, you know, single inch squares on on in, on on websites. You know, brands take multiple media um, channels. They take the right media mix and they often take video in the case of yes, goals. We've right. got a lot, we've spent a lot of money working out that video um, matters and it makes such an enormous difference to the way the brand's perceived. So do you think that the legacy media players have a chance to fight back? If you look at the digital uh, economy, the digital mm -hmm. advertising market, you know, we know the, the well-trodden figures, Google and Facebook are taking 60, 70% of every digital dollar, um, new digital dollar, and their share of that is, is growing. Is there any chance that, that these media companies that have to fund content, have to pay, mm. there's some big big cost lines there, mm. right? It's not just a technology platform and let the users do what they want. They've got to create this content. Um, is, is, is that possible? I think it is possible. I think some may have left it a bit late um, to, to adapt, but uh, the tech platforms can't own, any, own everything and lazy marketers, sorry, will use them um, and at their peril, I believe, because there is there's much more complexity and richness to be gained by using a, a variety of media. But the publishers will join up with each other. They'll well, create, they need to, don't they'll they? They'll create an e they'll create ecosystems that are easier to buy, and that's what helps the media agencies, and that's what helps us. And the media agency's job is to help us by joining the dots out there and bringing us the ideas that help us get our brands to market in a way that's just not sending them down a social route. So when you talk about, say, lazy market, is that because it's easy? What happens there in the, in the, in the thinking and the planning on the brand side, the marketer side to go, 
that's just all easy to do. It's all before me. Is that what happens? What 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 goes on? I'm, I'm speculating here, sure. but I think that I do a lot of that. Do that's fine. I think that um, a lot of marketers uh, like to see their work, and they like to know that their colleagues have seen their work too. Right. Okay. Yes. So so if you're posting and you're everyone in the building is following, right? Everyone's seeing your work. Whether the whether the audience is seeing your work. Uh, you know, at the scale that you'd like them to see it. Who, who, who knows, right. right? So I think that um, it's very easy to push social posts out and think job done. Um, mm. I, I feel that could be the case, yeah. But you also see a role for it all. So in your, in your, if I was to ask you now what your ideal channel mix looks like, I know that's a big, ambiguous, broad question. Yeah. But for, so let's, let's go to, um, whether it's, let's go well, hypothetical, Coles or Australia Post, mm-hmm. how would they be different? Let's start with the question around a media mix, right? The first thing is that from my time at Coles, I also ran the marketing for financial services, for Coles Financial Services, a completely different kettle of fish. And you would have to change your mindset from one meeting room to the next with how you were going to go to market, right? So driving digital performance, looking at our um, CPAs the whole time, um, you know, obviously brand building, because we have to give people the confidence that they can buy the insurance, but then constantly activating the whole time. You're running a completely different mix than you would be when you're running Christmas at Coles. Heavy, more heavily weighted to performance. Correct. Right. Going back to your original question, media is hard now. Mm. It is hard to find people. And that's why channel mix is so so important because you have to use every opportunity you can to find these eyeballs um, and get them to engage with your brand. So, Amber, let's get back to what many may say is a big, sleepy, bureaucratic institution called Australia Post and you moving there from, as we said earlier, a faster-moving retailer like Coles, why did you go there and what are you planning for this year? It's a new sector for me. Um, it's a new type of organisation completely. It has enormous scale. It actually makes Coles look quite small. Uh, it's a significant Australian brand and it's important to Australians and we've seen in the recent bushfire crisis um, just how important it is where in reg- regional Australia, um, Australians turn to Australia Post in a way that they don't to any other brand. And um, many of our Australian Post outlets were hosting families in crisis, hosting animals in crisis, being the place where communities came together and, and held the conversations about about how they were going to deal with what was going on. So it was very humbling to be part of it and actually felt very proud to be involved. So there are great people at Australia Post. There are smart people. I mean, obviously, Christine Holgate is whip smart. The news um, to the world, very, the CEO. She's amazing and um, very inspirational. And personally for me, very exciting to be working for a woman for a change. In fact, since 2001, we're working for Christine Holgate, who's a brilliant leader. And um, she's got a huge agenda uh, for the business and it's a real time of transformation. And people talk about transformation, I think, a bit loosely. They, you know, Mm. this isn't about a company that's having a minor reputational crisis or some slowing down in sales. This is a this is an organisation that has to seismically change the way it does business. In terms of my priorities for the year, it's really about new marketplaces, new revenue opportunities, making sure people understand the role that Australia Post plays in their lives and not take it for granted. It's an exceptional organisation um, filled with people who are dedicated to serving Australians and I feel, as I said, really proud to be part of it. So as a marketer though, uh, Amber, you know, you come into Australia Post, you talk about community. Um, so as a marketer, is it more about community than it is communications? Is there a, is there a re-weighting of your focus at, at Australia Post 
versus what you might have done in other companies. Um, community is a big part of yours. So where does community and communications kick in and the, the, sort of the media and the, the classic uh, advertising side of the business that um, many many listeners are accustomed to? Yeah, I think that that's an interesting challenge for me because it's very broad, as you say, and for me learning all about um, the essentials um, and basics of community engagement. Uh, it's not just about donating money, it's about building social enterprises and um, various initiatives that I've never been involved with before. So that's really exciting for me and an exceptional team that we've got there doing that. Communications, obviously, but I think that, you know, in terms of your one sort of marketing muscles, there's lots of things to do. And if you go back to the basics about improving products, it's a very competitive market in some parts of the business. Um, so making sure that we can compete um, head on with what are very, very tough competitors. We've got new markets that need to be explored. We've got new opportunities for growth in products, other sectors completely. What can we bring? There's opportunities for new services. The playground is huge for Australia Post and it's just about where we're going to go um, and we, and what decisions we're going to make. And I'm finding it really exciting. So to wrap up, the traditional case for a CMO, we talked a, bit, a little bit about the challenges of CMOs earlier, but for you inside that business, are you involved in product development? Are you as a CMO just sort of left to the communication branding bit or are you integrated into some of those new revenue streams and products and services and building and understanding where the opportunities are. are you, where do you sit in that in that sort of whole spectrum? Yeah, well, it's a big organisation and early days for me, but the most certainly is um, product um, and innovation teams, huge, um, well-established product innovation teams. My job is to pull a lot of those propositions together to create consumer experiences. So trying to change the way we do business so we're not just landing products in the market and rather coming from the other side, which is genuinely looking at what do customers want, how are we going to build experiences that are going to make it easy for them to buy and choose products from Australia Post rather than just individual product um, areas developing new initiatives that may or may not land. So I think that's where uh, my expertise um, and my team's expertise in understanding customers, understanding the insights, understanding where the value's coming and understanding how to build product ecosystems that we can then market you know, in an engaging so way. So to put you on the spot, what could that look like? An example, when you talk about new products, landing new products, understanding what people want, not just Australia Post producing products or creating products because it can. Let's pick on um, financial services. It's very simple to land a number of individual financial services products, but how customers buy financial services when they are, for instance, a small business or whether they are an individual is completely different. And how we package those products and what channels we use will be completely different. And the market dynamics of, of pricing, the market dynamics of the actual product composition itself are unique to those customers. So we can't just assume that we can land products that are one size fits all or that those products should be landed individually. They should be bundled potentially um, to make it easier for customers to buy. Is there anything though in the brand side of it? So what you're doing with the brand as opposed to community? Uh, in terms of the brand itself, you know, what, I'm going to use the brand in the in the in, the, in its largest um, uh, definition, which is we have to give people reasons to walk in the stores. And we have to give reasons for people to go online. And that means creating sales driving activity as well as brand building activity in a very traditional sense of the word. So it won't be about just community good news stories and it won't just be about, you know, buy these products. It will be an integrated way of looking at how Australia Post can fulfil customers' expectations around various uh, shopping missions. So that's what's exciting. Amber Collins, thanks. Good to talk. Let's loop back around uh, halfway through the year. It could be a good conversation. Good on you, Paul. Thanks so much. 
MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.